I'll be doing the Bible verse. Um, the verse is from Philippians 2, verse 12 to 18. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but not now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his per good purposes. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warp and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. As you hold firmly to the word of life, and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being pured out like a drink, offering on sacrifices and serving coming from the faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad to rejoice with me. Got it? Yes, awesome. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm Terry. I'm the uh, company chaplain for the Boys Brigade. I'd like to introduce you to three young people who are going to bring the message to us this morning. Um, firstly, Sean from um, our senior company, Cassandra from the Girls Brigade, and Michael. <laughs> thanks. Okay, thanks, guys. Good day. Um, the book of Philippians is a small but punchy letter from Paul, full of information and encouragement to the Church of Philippi, written around 61 AD. When Paul wrote this letter, it is believed by most scholars that he was under house arrest in Rome. Paul wrote this letter to the Church of Philippi, mainly to thank them for their gift. We don't know what, it, what the gift was, but they sent it when they heard he was under detention in Rome. But Paul, who never missed an opportunity to preach, whilst writing to thank them for the gift, added these important themes to the letter. A report on his own circumstances, encouragement to the Philippians to stand firm in persecution and to rejoice in any and all circumstances, to resort to, resort to humility and unity, to commend Timothy and Ephroditus to the church and to warn them against legalists in their church. As I was reading through this book and doing background research, I was impressed by how personal Paul writes to the Philippians. You really get a sense that he cares for the believers. Paul changed the way he usually writes to a way that is easy for the Philippians to understand. The passage that was read today can be split into three main sections. Oh, sorry. Obedience in verses 12 to 13, humility in verses 14 to 16, and rejoicing in verses 17 to 18. Philippians 12 and 13 says, Therefore, my dear friends, have you always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence? Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose? The passage is both an encouragement for the church's obedience and motivation to continue to work out their salvation. Have you ever been asked to do a simple task that actually turns out to be more complicated than you originally thought? Well, I have been. One time, Dad was overseas and he asked me to mow the lawn. So I said yes, think about how easy it would be. But then I went outside and found that the mower was out of fuel 
and then I had to find, go to petrol station and find the right jerry can as we have two with different types of fuel in it. Eventually, when I found the right jerry can and I filled them up with the right fuel, I found that I could not mow more than a metre without having to, fill, to empty the grass catcher as it was emptying up too quick. As you can see, it wasn't as easy as I originally thought. This is like Paul's message. In the passage, Paul commends the church for what sounds like a simple task, obedience. In actual fact, the standards of obedience are so high that no human could possibly reach. The standard which Paul is talking about is set about by Christ. This is seen earlier on in chapter 2 in verse 8, which talks about how Christ obeyed so much even to the point of death on the cross. Although we could never reach this, Paul is saying, just continue to strive for perfect obedience and even faith. When Paul says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, this does not mean an attempt to earn salvation by works, but salvation in spiritual growth and development, as seen in Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9, which says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not by works, so that no one can boast. Salvation does not just mean asking for forgiveness. There needs to be a change in a person's life, and this change needs to be ongoing and continual. This is like coming to church one day, learning something that you never knew, and going home and doing nothing about it. What Paul is talking about here when he says, work out your salvation, is known as sanctification, which simply put, means to be made holy by and through the work of the Holy Spirit in us, changing us in thought and deeds to be more like Jesus. The Bible teaches that sanctification as growth in holiness is to re result in victory over all sin before Jesus comes. This is not our achievement, it's Christ's gift. The power is justification, the result is sanctification and total victory. Hi. Okay, so, um, well done, Sean. So, um, a bit funny at the moment, so if I give out, I'm sorry. So, um, okay, so as we look a little bit further into the Philippians passage, um, Philippians 2, 4, 14 to 15 says, Do everything without grumbling or disputing that you may become blameless and, and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Among the world you will shine like lights. So what is Paul actually trying to say here? Well, if you just take the first little part of it, um, Philippians 2.14, it says, Do all things without grumbling, complaining, disputing, whatever translation you have, the words are slightly different. And... Um, Sorry. It sadly appears that Paul is just a little concerned about something. He maybe heard something back from the Philippians. They weren't following his teachings. They were doing something not right. And he was a little bit concerned. But anyway, um, Paul labored hard among them, among the Philippians, to bring them the gospel and teach them that they will grow in their maturity and in faith. And he wanted them to carry on by continuing to grow, to serve, to love, to obey, and also, dot, 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 not complain and grumble. So in the Bible, out of all the 66 books there are, and uh, the millions of people that have been said and mentioned, everybody's complained about something. And, well, something and everything, people usually complain. But I believe the group who probably would take the complaining trophy, if there was one, um, would probably be Israel when they were coming out of Egypt to the Promised Land. And just think about it for a minute to be Moses leading these people from Egypt to the Promised Land. 
with all the whining and the complaining and all like the Moses, it's hot here. I can't deal with this. Moses, my feet are sore. I've been walking around for hours. It is too hot. You know, like I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. Is this some kind of sick joke you're playing on us? You know, you're out here to kill us or something. You know, this is too heavy. We're hungry. We're thirsty. My feet are sore. I can't do this. Where are we going? Are we there yet? It's too hot. I can't do this. Are we there yet? Like, oh, Israel. They're exhausting. They just complain all the time. And God is very displeased with that. And also, he's also displeased when we do that. If we walk around complaining about things. Like Israel, when we lack faith in his power, to question his ability or willingness to provide and when we hesitate to rest in his love. Whether the people were slaves in Egypt or wandering around in the wilderness, going to the promised land that God told them they will get to, they complained the whole way through. Nothing seemed to make that generation happy. There was always something to complain about. So why is it important not to complain? Well, Paul adds after it, says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. Now, God wants us to be pure and holy like him because he is pure and holy. He's probably like the definition. Of, he is the definition of holy and pure. And when we start complaining and acting immature, we turn out like whining children. Now, sorry, kids. I love working with you guys. I love having a blue card. But, yeah, when you start whining, it kind of annoys everybody. And also, when we, when we also whine and complain, it annoys everyone around us. So when we start acting immature or we're whining or we're complaining, what do people around us usually say? They usually probably say something the lines of... Um, I don't know, grow up would probably be said. I know my mum said that to me a bunch of times. Um, and wouldn't be the only one. And as Christians, we need to be the light and salt of the earth, always pointing to Jesus, whatever we're doing. We're always pointing. Kind of like that. So Matthew five fourteen to 16 says, You are the light of the world, light for the whole world. A city on a hill cannot be hid. No one lights a lamp and then hides it under a bowl. I mean, that's just stupid. Um, but instead, it's put on a lampstand where it gives light to everybody in the house. The same way we must shine before people so that they'll see all the good things you do and praise your Father in heaven. If we, are to, if we are living for Jesus right now, we need to stand out. And we will. It's just something that happens. So I'd like to take everybody back in time just a little bit. Just for like a couple of minutes, I guess, to 2003. Now, some of you weren't even born in 2003, so it's a bit hard, but majority of you would have been alive in 2003. So in 2003, I've got some little fun facts for you. I might remind you of times back then. Uh, the Pennant Panthers defeated Sydney Roosters 18-6 uh, to six to win the second premiership, if you're an NRL fan. Obviously, a good time to be a Pennant Panther fan. Um, Star Wars Episode Three: Avenger the Sith, uh, begins its principal photography in Fox Studios in Sydney. So if you're a Star Wars fan, woo! And um, also, Quentin Bryce was announced as the Queensland's next governor. And lastly, a little six-year-old me was at Rosalie Public School in Sydney. Now, being a redhead, 
um, you, you stand out completely. Like, you walk into a room and bang, you stood out because, well, I really don't need to be more obvious. And, um, well, and yeah, that, and everybody has a lot of mixed emotions about what they think of my hair, particularly when I was little. Maybe now, I really don't know, frankly don't care. But when I was little, it was mostly like one minute everyone was all like, oh, Cassandra, we love your hair, it's so pretty, don't change it. And then the next minute, they're all like, you look funny, we don't like you. What is this? Why is, you, why is your hair funny? We don't like that. And yeah, it got very confusing as a six-year-old, I've got to admit. So I had basically had enough of this and went, no, I can't change people's opinions, so there's only one thing I have left to do. So I thought I'd dye my hair black because I thought it would solve that problem. Nobody would... I wouldn't stand out. Nobody would point and go, there's Cassandra, there's Cassandra, there's Cassandra, and the whole mixed emotion... <coughs> Sorry. Mixed emotion things that were going on. Now, for people who are probably sitting in your seats freaking out, I never actually did dye my hair. I just can't be bothered now. I just can't be bothered. Um, but I did spend a lot of time as a six-year-old thinking about it, going, you know, when I have money, going to do it. But I'm thinking right now in this context, we all need to be metaphorically redheads. I'm not saying go dye your hair. If you want, that's great. It won't look normal, but yeah, if you want to dye your hair, go dye it. But redheads stand out, and if we want to be, if we want to be known as Jesus' people, we need to stand out. And red hair is the only thing I can actually put it to in ways that you guys could understand, because, well, we stand out, and there's really nothing else to it. So we need to stand out and, and point people to Jesus everywhere in everything that we do. So no matter if you're at school, you're at uni, you're with your friends, you're at work, and even sometimes with your own family, we need to be pointing to Jesus all the time, like this. Well, maybe not like that, but you get my point. Anyway, so as we continue on, um, in verse 15... Um, Paul is telling the Philippians why he's saying all of this. He says that in Philippians 2.15, says the midst, because you live in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine lights in. So well, I've already just done the lights of the world or redheads of the world, depending on which way you want to look at it. Um, well, now I'm now here to talk about that we live in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, people, lives, whatever have you. So right now, we've got a lot of things to complain about. And just like Israel, it's slightly different, but we've still got a lot of things to complain about. We complain about our finances, our health, our lack of free time, the weather. I see a lot of people fanning themselves. It is really hot, particularly under these lights. Uh, we might get down that our favourite sports team is losing. So AFL, NRL, um, soccer, cricket, baseball the smashing of the state of origin. Um, then we might complain about the traffic, so, you know, driving places. That's why I walk places, because there's no traffic. Then there's politics. So then, you know, you got the whole Rudd, Gillard, Rudd, um, Tony Abbott, <laughs> Abbott and Turnbull. It sounds the start of a horrible joke, if you ask me, and apparently we're the punchline. Um, then, then, then we've got the leak in the roof, the mortgage payment, another car payment, the winter that gives out, the heater rather, that gives out in winter, or the aircon that gives out during summer. 
And it's just a massive snowball thing where it just keeps going and going and bigger and bigger and our problems just get more and more and more and more and over time. And then we come here and then, well, we start complaining again. And mm, I don't, that's not a good thing. So Philippians 4, 4 to 5 says, Rejoice in the Lord, uh, always. I say it again, rejoice. So if we need to be light to the world, we, oh, we need to be rejoicing. Now, life is hard. I get that. I just listed a whole bunch of problems that we have now. And that's just in Australia. Like, don't even get me thinking about what's happening overseas with Syria and the attacks in Paris and just all that other stuff we could be worrying about, poverty. And, yeah, the, the list is basically endless. And, you know, life sucks, but... Eh. But we need to be rejoicing in our situations, no matter how bad the circumstances are. So, yeah, so the tax on Paris, we can go, that's really bad. I'm not minimising all the hurt they're going through. But let's rejoice that not too many people got killed, not to that, you know, that it that hasn't happened in Australia just yet. So there's an example. And um, we often do stuff for Jesus, but when we start to grumble and complain and whine and act immature, whining children and yada, 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 it all goes down the drain. And this passage is very clear. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Philippians 2.14. Throughout Philippians, joy is a regularly mentioned topic. In verses 17 and 18, Paul says... But even if, I am being not, if, even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. The Macquarie Dictionary defines joy as an emotion of keen or lively pleasure from present or expected good. And what good is greater than that of God's promise of eternal life with him. No wonder Paul rejoices, even at the thought of a painful death. He knows that no matter what happens to him, he will spend eternity with his everlasting father. But that is all that Paul rejoices about. Verse 17 expresses that Paul's ultimate joy comes from seeing other Christians grow in their faith to the point where he would actually sacrifice his own life in order to increase their faith. I am an avid golfer. I play golf every Saturday and I really enjoy it. However, there are some days where I just don't play very well. My first shot slices into the water on the right my second shot just dribbles into the bunker. It takes me three shots to get out of the bunker. And then I have four bad parts. That's pretty bad, by the way. On the next hole, I have two possible courses of action. Firstly, I can get angry at myself and complain and grumble about last hole, which usually results in me receiving another bad score. However, my other course of action actually involves forgetting about my golf game and instead focusing on the beauty of God's creation that's all around me on the golf course 
and of God's promises to me. When I do this, I feel a sense of peace and joy. Consequently, I become more focused and usually perform much better in my golf game. So next time God sends another trial your way, don't waste time grumbling and complaining about the situation. Instead, do what I do when I'm playing golf. Forget your problems and focus solely on Jesus Christ in order to clear your mind and feel the peace and joy that comes only from Jesus Christ. And therefore, also be far more prepared for whatever troubles are coming your way. Once we have believed in Jesus Christ, our purpose in life should be to try and live up to, to Jesus' perfect example. In order to do this, however, it is necessary to do what Jesus did, to become a servant, to obey God unconditionally. It's very difficult to find enough faith to trust a God you have never seen. Faith like that does not appear overnight. And so we must keep striving to mature in our faith so that when troubles come, we can trust God and give our worries to him. Faith in God is like a beacon of light amongst the disbelief and untrustworthiness of this world, which is, and it's a major platform that Christians use to spread God's love. The world is not used to trust. And when we're making decisions, if we trust God, we can get people wondering about us, wondering what's different about us. However, when we go whining to God about the craziness of his ideas, it does not send the same message. As most parents know, there is nothing inspirational about a little child whining to his dad that about being the only person without the iPod 6 that just came out yesterday. <laughs> Similarly, by complaining and grumbling to God, you display the distrust with which all of mankind treats itself, and there is nothing special about you to them. You, instead, you must display, oh, instead you must obey God unconditionally. Next time you start to doubt God, remember Luke chapter 11, verses 11 to 13, which says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? That'd be pretty stupid. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. Murder. <laughs> if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit for those who ask him? Don't grumble or complain about your trials. Instead, ask your heavenly Father, who loves you unconditionally, for help. Lastly, rejoice. You are not alone. You serve a victorious God, and even death has no hold over you, as when you die, you will live 
with your heavenly Father eternally. What more reasons do you have? Do you need to be joyful? Continue to mature in your faith and obedience to God. Lift up your troubles to God, and he will demonstrate his unconditional grace and love to you. Don't whinge or whine about what God asks you to do, but instead fill your heart with joy at the thought that an all-powerful God has rewarded you with the chance to bless others with the blessing that God has given you. Thank you, Sean, Cassandra, and Michael, for those, for that passage. And um, I just want to remind you, just to, as as they spoke out through each of it, to live for Jesus without grumbling or arguing, arguing this week. Let's bow and pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for the the girls and the boys brigade and the discipleship that is happening there. Lord, we thank you for these um, three young people that delivered your message this morning to live for Jesus without grumbling or arguing. Lord, we ask that you would just bless us this week. Lord, remind us of this message and the examples that they use, Lord. Just remind us of those things when we go golfing or when we're walking around, Lord. We just ask that you just bless this week and bless us. Amen.